We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Welcome everybody, Steve with Sense Fidelity. I'm coming at you with Christian Clifford out there in California. Uh, talk about who was St. Junipero Serra. I think I screwed that up again. But anyway, Christian loves to visit Catholic missions with his family. I'm reading from the MC guy, so I'm looking down. Uh, he especially enjoys learning about the founder of the first nine missions, St. Junipero Serra. His, uh, this passion led him to write uh, the book, Making Sense of the History and Legacy. After his publication, he took his son's advice to write a book for children, recommending that it be called Who Was St. Juniper Serra? Uh, the third book in his mission trilogy is Meet Pablo Tac, Tac Indian from Far Shores of California. Uh, the story of the first California Mission Indian Seminarian currently is working on another book about his 782-mile walk in 45 days. Good googly moogly. To the 21 mission, uh, California missions. Uh, it's works titled The Pilgrimage in Search of the Real California Missions. His writings have appeared in Altea, California Teacher, Catholic Exchange, Catholic San Francisco, Catholic Standard, Crooks, uh, Patheos, Philippine, Daily Inquirer, and today's Catholic Teacher. And Clifford has been a guest speaker on radio and to school, church, and service groups. We can add the great channel of Census Fidelium now. He's received a BA in social science from the University of Great Falls in Montana, an MA in Catholic school teacher from the University of San Francisco. He has been a teacher in the schools of the Archdiocese of San Francisco since 1997. He lives in the San Francisco Bay Area with his wife and son. And for more information, please visit his website at missions1796.com, which we'll include underneath in the web, on the show notes section. So welcome, Dr. Clifford. Thanks, it's not doctor. Ah, no, I'll, I'll no. promote you. Uh, Thanks. So, Mr. Clifford, thank you for coming on. Uh, basically the whole topic, if anybody's not been under a rock, the attacks on the statues, uh, St. Sarah and now St. King St. Louis. And I brought him on going, who else better to do than a guru on who is St. Sarah? So, well, thanks for having me, Steve. It's great to be here with uh, your subscribers and you. Uh, just a real quick uh, side note, it's missions1769.com. What I said? Yeah, you said 1796. Ah, because, I'm dyslexic sometimes. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, the reason that is, is that 1769 is the year that St. Junipero Serra founded the first mission in what was then called Nueva California or New California. Mm -hmm. Uh today the current state of california he founded the first mission at san diego so last year was actually the uh 250th commemoration of that event and it was a really spectacular uh remembrance of his courage coming here really into a world of the unknown to spread the gospel message wow. so is that the, the first catholic 
in California was him? Not historically, because back in, um, I want to say about the mid 17th century, okay. uh, Sebastian Vizcaino, who actually plays a very important part in the story of St. Junipero Serra. So Sebastian Vizcaino was exploring for the King of Spain mm -hmm. and he, or the Empire of Spain, and he landed at Monterey and he took notes and it went into some archives somewhere in Madrid. And then what happened was fast forward about a century and a half later, a century later, and the powers that be were getting word in Madrid that Britain and Russia kind of had the uh, California, well, we, let's just call it California, in their crosshairs. And they wanted to you know, come here and get the natural resources and so on. Therefore, Spain took that out of the archives and said, hey, hold on. We, we, we've had some people out there. Let's get some uh, people out there to colonize it and evangelize to the local natives. And once they're baptized, they're automatically Spanish uh, citizens. And then we can um, tell their ambassadors from England, uh, Britain and uh, Russia, hey, hands off, this is our land, right? So that's really integral to the whole big picture. So the first mass was celebrated in Monterey by a few Carmelite priests who were with the Vizcaino uh, exploration party. Okay. And so I, I, I'm sorry, but I forget the uh, exact date right now, but I want to say the mid 17th century. That works. Yeah, I'm putting together this big series on how the religion uh, came to each state. I've yeah. done New Mexico and Colorado already. Uh, I need to hit Arizona now, California after going this, you know, le learning about the missions, St. Sarah. I didn't know about that with Vizcaino. So that's, you know, that's. Yeah. So, but with St. Junipero Serra, it was, you know, very formal, uh -huh. let, let, you know, written down on paper. Let's go out and do this. That's why he's um, <clears throat> in certain circles. He's very controversial because uh, people bring up the, question about was he an agent of the state or an agent of the church but really back then the church and the state and the empire of spain were really really one it was mm -hmm. hard to separate the two but uh sarah there's a lot of historical evidence where he really um used words to fight back in in actions to fight back not violent actions against the abuses by the government officials especially the uh, soldiers the soldiers yeah, because uh, I remember a story of there was a let's say like the the soldiers over here and his missions way over here to kind of be separate from them. Because that's, right. that's that's pretty pretty historically accurate. Yep. Yeah, just like the you know, people hear about the they condemn Cortez to this fifth limb or hell for yeah. just being him. And yes. yes, if you're away from the motherland, you're going to have some bad apples in the bushels. Yeah. yeah. But you know, with Cortez, uh, I don't want to go on a, off on a tangent. Right. Uh, but he had Indian allies. I mean, the Aztecs were despised, and they were empire mongers. And right. uh, just like here, when uh, Portola, who was the uh, head honcho for the government soldier, uh, along with Sarah, they historians have called it the sacred expedition. Mm -hmm. And um, the the idea is. They, they brought uh, Indian allied troops with him and, and workers. Mm -hmm. And then even here, when the uh, Indians uh, became Christians, they had auxiliary units uh, to go out and, you know, 
protect the missions, uh, sometimes to go out and seek uh, Native Christians who had left the missions. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's also really an area of controversy. Even though we don't see it a lot during Sarah's time, but after his time, when the crops were low, the economy was sinking, sometimes you'd have uh, neophytes or Christian Indians who would say, hey, I'd like to go home and visit my family. And, you know, they basically come to an agreement like, okay, sure, go ahead, two weeks, you know, we'll see you in two weeks. Mm -hmm. But some remained and they would uh, go out and they try to compel them through reason first, hey, come on back and, and so on. But there are some examples where uh, soldiers, including Indian uh, auxiliary units, would, would, would get these guys by force and take them back. And the fear was from the church's perspective that they would, uh, if they remained, they'd backslide to their uh, previous belief systems and ways of life. And of course, what was paramount to Sarah and the friars was the state of their soul. So uh, for people that are uh, angry at religion, irreligious, um, they might have a, a difficulty understanding that, you know? Um, or people that don't even believe in another life or even the, the soul. Mm -hmm. They might have difficulty with that. But that was the case. And you can't historically change that, you know? Right. Uh, and of course, we as, as baptized Christians are compelled to be invitational to people uh, to recognize that they have a soul and that this life is temporary. So tell, did he target California? I don't want to say target. Did he seek out California personally or was no, no. His whole vocation. So back in Mallorca, Spain, where he was from, mm -hmm. he became a Franciscan. He was brilliant. Uh, he was a, a professor of sacred theology and philosophy. And um, the word got out in the Franciscan circles in Spain. They were basically recruiting for priests to come to the New World or New Spain mm -hmm. to uh evangelized to the native peoples. And um, when St. Hudiprocera got wind of that, he, he really always felt a calling to evangelize. So what he ended up doing was they accepted his application. He said bye to his family. He said bye to his pretty good job as a professor. And he got on a ship, went to Mexico City, and he ended up there for about 19 years in that section central mexico evangelizing indians who had already been baptized mm -hmm. but they're kind of lapsed or they didn't have a, a religious presence um 24 7. and so it took him another 19 20 years to actually accomplish what his his calling really was and that was to evangelize people that never heard the gospel and um it was all very um planned out by the powers that be in Mexico City and in Madrid to make this a joint venture between church and state to, like I said, come here before the British mm -hmm. and the Russians they feared did. Um, so he didn't, he didn't plan it out, but he was invited to do it and he responded with a resounding yes. How successful was he? Uh, obviously, the end point was success. How was he at the beginning? Did it take years? Uh... It did. It did. It, it, it was uh, frustrating to him 
There's evidence that it was frustrating, but also very joyful. Mm -hmm. So um, it was slowly but surely, you know, some historians make a correlation between the story of, you know, the first Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. and, you know, with the pilgrims and the uh, natives back east, and really what happened here. If it weren't for, the argument is, if it weren't for the natives helping out the Spanish early on, it would have failed miserably. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing where these people that are saying, tear down this statue, he's a genocidal maniac, the missions were concentration camps. It's like, wait, hold on. There, out of 142 Franciscan missionaries that served in what we call California today, the missions, eventually 21, two were martyred, only two. So. And they only had like five guards at every mission, Spanish guards to protect them. Mm -hmm. So if things were that bad, it's easy to jump to the conclusion that, oh, they could have been slaughtered overnight, just slaughtered. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think the track record's pretty good that it was slow, but thanks to the natives uh, along the coast and their graciousness and their um, willingness to kind of say, hey, who are these guys? What are they about? They're hungry, let's feed them. Um, yeah, it would have failed miserably. But in the big picture, things did pick up. Uh, more and more natives for different reasons do come to the missions. Uh, some of the reasons are curiosity for to listen to actually the gospel and respond to the gospel. Mm -hmm. uh, the new way of life was a great incentive as well as three square meals a day. You know, the, the native Californians were foraging their hunter-gatherers, and, and oftentimes they're foraging for a vast majority of the day. So when they came into the mission life, is a very different way of life, but they were working on average six to eight hours a day. Mm -hmm. So I don't know about you, but uh, with our modern system, six to eight hours a day sounds pretty good. <laughs> they're, they're basically, um, communes what you what you grew mm -hmm. you 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 ate and uh and used and so on um and then there's also examples of when there's a drought in, at one mission in one area because trust me after having walked 782 miles between the 21 missions it is a vast vast state california and um so in one area you could have a mission or two have an impact by drought and their crops are being impacted. So they would ask another mission where there was no drought and there's a surplus to help them out. There's a, a lot of evidence of that. How, how far away are these missions? Are they almost like the exact same distance no, apart? No, they're, they're not. Um, so I think it's a legend that they were, you know, a day's walk apart okay. or a day's, uh, a two days walk apart, a day's horseback ride apart. Mm -hmm. But um, I think that's more legend than anything. Um, there were, there are two, let me get this. There were two points that were like 55 to 60 miles apart. And then there were two other ones that were a day, day apart for me. Mm -hmm. um, about 18 miles apart. So so the spacing, it does differ. It, it was very practical why they put missions where they did. Mm -hmm. Water, ah. water sources. And of course, what you brought up earlier, 
yeah, the proximity to presidios or Spanish for forts. Um, like at Carmel, uh, right outside of Monterey, is where the shrine of St. Junipero Serra is. And the original mission was at what is today the uh, Presidio Chapel, also known as the Cathedral of San Carlos Borromeo, mm -hmm. which is the cathedral of the Diocese of Monterey in California. And it's also the oldest, I think it's, oh no, it's the smallest cathedral in the United States, huh. Catholic. Um, but anyways, that's where the original mission was. And like you said, the proximity to the soldiers became an issue. Um, <clears throat> therefore, San Unipro Serra said, hey, we're gonna take it another, I think it's about five or seven miles in, in near the Carmel River, because it's a better source. And it's, a, it's further away from the Presidio. What kind of tactics did he use to help evangelize the Indians and the natives there? That's a good question. The tactics that he used. He came to Mexico or New Spain when he was in his 50s. Oh, and he was brilliant, like I said, and he wanted to learn the language of the native peoples that he was uh, dealing with. But the uh, historical evidence that I encountered is that he tried but to no avail. Therefore, like at uh, Mission Carmel or Mission San Carlos Borromeo that I just referred to, um, he, it's popularly known as Mission Carmel. There were, I think, three different uh, linguistic groups among the natives there, and they didn't all agree with each other. They had past histories and so on. Therefore, uh, Spanish was used as the unifying uh, language, just like uh, the argument was um, you know, for Latin, you know, for most of our church's history, right? It would unify and lessen confusion mm -hmm. universally or around the world. So he, the tactic was he taught them just like uh, you would back in Spain. He taught that the, they learned the rudiments of the faith. The adults who are uh, converting in the process of converting I guess they're like ancient RCIA program. Um, they had to learn the rudiments of the faith before accepting baptism. So this idea of first forced conversion is 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 really a historical record does not prove that to be true at all. It was invitational. Mm -hmm. So initially, point of contact, uh, very customary to you know give them gifts, beads, things like that. So that the next step would be curiosity, asking questions, maybe through an interpreter of some sort mm -hmm. who came from uh, Baja, California, the, the natives there who converted and came with them. Uh, but then once things got settled down in the uh, missions and they started to get built uh, by the Indians um, mainly, um, then the rudiments of the faith would be taught before conversion, uh, before baptism. The infants, uh, could be baptized automatically. Uh, again, with yeah, infants uh, automatic uh, on the request of the parents. Uh, what were the people like before their conversion? Were, I mean, were they kind of like the Aztecs? Were they not? Were they uh, multiple marriages? How yeah. So there are so many different native groups here in California that it's really difficult to generalize. But I can tell you this based on your question, they weren't like the Aztecs. Mm -hmm. uh, 
the 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 work that's been done is that many different language groups that they had difficulties with each other and they had not tribes but tribelets so you have like communities of like 50 uh 75 what the spanish called in their writings rancherias rancherias and they would usually have a like a head of the community and um but the big thing in terms of war that they did is is mainly based on revenge so like uh you do me wrong i'm gonna get you back so well what's the uh growing up you know hey uh it's not christian to um um to to uh go after the other for their wrongs uh-huh. you know um we got to learn how to forgive so that was uh a real cultural shift too in the belief system to learn to forgive uh the christian way so um yeah that that was basically you know they they were hunter gatherers like i said if they were along the coast they were fishermen too um they really learned the uh the environment and made use of the environment as challenging as it was but um they weren't used to the idea of you know settling down so when the missions came in that system, uh, this idea of settling down was difficult. Also, uh, in terms of uh, sexuality, you know, sex was not to be crass, but it was just something to do, mm-hmm. you know? And um, there were examples of uh, in certain tribeless where uh, one would dress up as a girl if there was you know multiple sons there weren't a lot of girls and then of course um that whole area of sexuality was found in the missions too there you are just got your back um what else he was all right he was 50 when he got there how many years did it take him to get was it nine missions that he started that's right. And he wanted more. He wanted a lot more. But he, he the um, governor would take it back to the viceroy and they're just like, go sell crazy somewhere else. We don't have the manpower. We don't have the resources. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he was very zealous. He, he said, hey, there's more souls to be saved. We can do this because it, it did become somewhat successful. You know, the long range impact of Sarah uh, he founded the first nine, and then his predecessor, uh, Father Fermin Lasuen, he is a Franciscan from the uh, Basque country of Spain. He would found the next nine, mm-hmm. and then uh, there are about two or three other their predecessors who founded the remaining uh, ones. Uh, the last one was actually founded under the um, Mexican government when mm-hmm. California became part of Mexico. The Mission Sonoma, or it's popularly known as Mission Sonoma, but it's uh, known as Mission Francisco uh, Solano is this mm-hmm. formal name. And that was founded under the uh, Mexican occupation of, here in California. But um, the 101,000 baptisms were recorded in that, and that's in basically the roughly 50 year span 
that Spain was here in California. Wow. 101,000. And it's also noteworthy for your uh, viewers that uh, the majority of California native uh, peoples never even came into contact with the Spanish. The Spanish area of influence or sphere of influence was basically from Sonoma, north of San Francisco in the 1820s to all the way to San Diego. Mm -hmm. And it was from the coastline to about 25 to 50 miles inland. That was it. Mm -hmm. So roughly uh, what I say, like, as a crow flies 600 miles by 50 miles, 25 to 50 miles. That was, and, and, and there's a lot more state left. Yeah. And there are a lot more natives in California. Uh, most guesstimates are about uh, 350,000, 400,000 natives uh, pre-contact, uh -huh. pre-contact. So uh, 101,000, and as you uh, are probably aware, uh, a good majority of them um, lost their lives because of the disease, uh -huh. the foreign disease. And uh, that's a really significant point. And that's where a lot of the anger comes from uh, with these activists is that their, their people did lose a lot of their cultural ways. And a lot of them lost their lives. But the big question is, was it St. Junipero Serra's intent? And the historical record is really clear that he was motivated, motivated by the gospel to save souls. And that it's hard for me to believe, but there's some people out there that think that the modern medicine we have has always existed. <laughs> There's actually an example, and this one comes up from um, a gentleman uh, who is the curator. His name escapes me now, uh, forgive me on this, but he's a curator of the uh, Mission Dolores or Mission San Francisco de Assis mm -hmm. uh, mission in the city and county of San Francisco. And he is a native Californian and he's Catholic. And in a few interviews that he did, he brought this up. Um, he said, hey, these guys had limited knowledge of the world. When some young babies were getting sick around Junipero Serra, he wrote to the powers, the experts in uh, Mexico City, the doctors at the time, what do I do? They're getting sick here. This is what is going on. And about a year later, he got a response because mail was very slow back then. And they said, give them more milk. Well, lo and behold, the experts told him to do that. Well, some hundred years later, we learned that the Ohlone Indians, who are the main uh, uh, native peoples at Mission Dolores in San Francisco, were lactose intolerant. So, I mean, they could only do what they could do with what they had and what they knew. Right. Contrast that with uh, if you read anybody reads the story of Father De Schmidt when he finds out that the state is literally giving the Indians whiskey, knowing that oh, they're going to tear each other apart and yeah, sit back and watch and do it. Yeah, up there in Montana, he's a great guy. Yeah. He, he, now, to uh, as you shared with your uh, viewers, um, the University of Great Falls. It's now it's now called. Um, the University of Providence. It's uh, it was founded by the Providence Sisters, Sisters of Providence, at really? Montreal, back in the 1930s. But uh, 
they did change the name after I graduated. Um, and I took a uh, Native American history class and cultures class, cultures and traditions while there, because in Montana, uh, there's a, a, a very uh, large population of Native Americans. And um, I learned a lot about Father DeSmet and he, he's a great guy. He should be up for uh, canonization. Yes. You know? I love it. I know of a couple of seminarians that became priests because of his, just because of reading his book or the book really? on him. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. But it goes into all this because he was the first statue I heard of Catholic wise to get moved out of St. Louis university and they oh, put really? it up in the, uh, the museum. So anybody goes to St. Louis, uh, go to the museum. He's on the, it's the Jesuit museum on the third floor. It's free to entry. Literally nobody goes to it. It's right across the street from the library. And there's the statue of Father DeSmit up there with his hand cross up there and hand over the Indian that he's converting. Oh, that sounds great. I'd love to see that visit there. It's a cool it's a cool one, yes. Um so Sarah saying Sarah, all right, he's he, I'm sure he wasn't by himself during those nine, but it wasn't like he had an army of priests, right? No, no. Um there are a lot of times ideally they wanted to. Two priests per mission. And what happened was, you know, they, they'd go on these recruiting tours. Uh, the, the, the leaders of the Franciscans in Mexico City would go to Spain and try to recruit. And sometimes they had uh, a good response, other times they didn't. Um, but ideally, too, because of loneliness. Huh. I mean, working alone was very difficult for these guys. And sometimes they were left alone uh, because the other guy either... Uh, retired or couldn't hack it and and then went back and um but it was a very difficult uh a lot of sacrifice for these guys and you know sometimes they had two there and they hated each other you know they had difficulty just getting along with each other i shouldn't say hate they're franciscans really dislike uh, they, they're <laughs> yeah, they really disliked you know they, yeah. they had their own foibles and quirks they're and human uh, but for the most part i think the majority of the time they were able to staff it with two mm -hmm. and some were um user gifts and talents like uh sit jar at um mission san, san antonio de padua which is my favorite um mission it's it's when you go there it almost feels like you're stepping back in time with the land the building it's basically what these guys like san huda brosera experienced you know walking through there um, it's very isolated and remote, but, um, he's Sitchar learned the language of the people, wrote a catechism in the local language for them. Uh, then you have, uh, the priest who, uh, his name's escaping me right now, but at mission, uh, San Juan Batista, which is kind of South of San Jose, he was a great gifted musician and he, they had the greatest choir there of native musicians playing. So um, ideally too, these guys really sacrificed a lot. They used their gifts and talents in the way they knew how, and some were bad. So a couple of them, you know, uh, were, were accused of doing some uh, kind of nasty things. But I would, I, would, I would say they were the exception to the rule, mm -hmm. just like what's going on in our church today with our faith-filled priests, our holy priests, uh, some are ruining uh, the reputation of the ministry of priesthood, mm -hmm. you know? 
and it's really unfortunate. And I think that uh, in a lot of these books, you know, I've read them. I know the arguments of those who accuse the uh, mission system and St. Junipero Serra. I know their arguments very well. And they seem to take uh, certain things out of context and really run with it. And, uh, and it's really important to note that history is complex. It's not so black and white, but to cherry pick information, to paint a, you know, a broad picture with broad strokes is really dishonest. It's just really dishonest. Yeah, I remember there's a great line, you're entitled to your opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Did uh, St. Sarah, did, uh, was he traveling to all those nine when he had two at each station? Was he traveling yeah. constantly to it? Yeah, so he was headquartered in uh, Monor or Carmel, Mission Carmel. And what would he do is periodically he'd go and visit the different missions to, to check up on people. But the big reason why he ventured out was for confirmation. So we didn't hear, we didn't have, or he didn't have a bishop, only bishops supposed to uh, perform the sacrament of confirmation. So he got a dispensation from the Holy See or the Pope to, to do it. So after a certain amount of time, uh, the, the population rose, he did go out there to every single mission to perform uh, the sacrament of reconciliation. And it is kind of a legend that he walked the entire time, but the reality is they walked a lot, but they also had mules and horses. Uh, sometimes they would venture out on their own to make house calls, basically. Uh, other times they would have a guard, probably just a guard mm -hmm. to, to uh, act as security. And, um, you know, he went all the way to Mexico City very early on to defend the rights of the natives because of the egregious behavior of some of the soldiers. Mm -hmm. Because he's like, hey, Viceroy, who is the king's representative in, in the New World or New Spain, how can we bring people to Christ if we have supposed Catholic Christians who are acting in such uh, horrible be, uh, ways. Mm -hmm. So again, distance with the uh, Presidio and the soldiers. And he went there and basically um, every single one, except for two of his points that he had a problem with, including um, how the natives were being treated, were, were met, were met by the Viceroy. He agreed with him. So, uh, Archbishop Gomez, who is a great uh, defender of the reputation, the holiness of Saint Junipero Serra, he's the Archbishop of Los, the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, um, is quick to point out what he refers to as the Native Bill of Rights. So this is uh, you can make a strong argument, I would say, that Serra was way ahead of his time, way ahead of his time, right? Because my, uh, so many look down upon the natives mm -hmm. as less than. Um, the, the society, not just uh, British, but Spanish as well, uh, very stratified, you know, like uh, you had um, the Peninsulares who were uh, from Spain, and then you had the Mestizo who were uh, intermarried 
which is a very beautiful thing to come across when studying California mission history. And that is you had a lot of intermarriages between uh, native and Spaniard. That's a beautiful thing about our faith, right? Yeah, it's like the San Patricios. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of Irish in Mexico. Yeah, yeah. You, that's a beautiful thing about our faith. You marry, you marry for love, not money or uh, some status. You know, they were supposed to be, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like I didn't do due diligence if I didn't say like uh, when Columbus came over and went back over, Queen Isabella wrote a beautiful letter about protection and caring for the natives as if they are her own children, that we yes. have to educate them and bring them to the trueness of the faith and treat yes. them just like us. That's right. That's right. Uh, but it's really important to note, too, that... Uh, you know, you had these systems in place when Sarah was here, and he was well aware of them, mm -hmm. that um, the conquistadors were given lands for their service, and they didn't have labor. So they basically did enslave mm -hmm. uh, local peoples. And um, what happens is Sarah was aware of that history. He condemned it, and um, he learned from it. Because how can you make true Catholic Christians out of people that are forced to believe something against their will? So, <laughs> kind of go, goes against all the church teaching right there. That's right. <laughs> and in conscience, right? Uh, this, the primacy of conscience. But the thing is that you had, um, what you have is Las Casas. Bartolome de las Casas, right? Mm -hmm. He was a slaveholder who eventually became a priest and a bishop. And he wrote these books that were, took Spain by storm. And it's, it's about the enslavement of the native peoples by supposed Catholics. So what happened is uh, he used a lot of hyperbole in his writing. Mm -hmm. And um, when the Protestant Reformation occurred with the printing press, the uh, places like uh, the Low Countries, Holland, Belgium, that was basically uh, ruled by Spain at the time, there were uh, movements afoot to get Spain out because these guys converted to Protestant Christianity and they used the printing press in Las Casas' own writings against Spain. You guys are monsters. You're evil, you you know, all this stuff. So it's a really interesting thing. So what's going on in Spain intellectually, um, it had trouble carrying over in, in terms of practicality here. But by the time in California with St. Judas Procera, you didn't have those systems in place. It was really like a uh, uh, un, unpainted canvas, you know, uh, from the, the Spanish, Spanish perspective. Final question, uh, some, give us something that we probably don't know about St. Sarah, but it's really cool to know of him. Like, uh, you know, it was, I don't know, quirks, oh, I tits. Couple, I have a couple things. Uh, one, he was only five fit two. He was, you know, people were much shorter back then. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know that. Even back in, uh, I, I remember going to a um, wedding reception uh, as a wedding rehearsal reception at a uh, place in New Jersey. And it was like an old um, converted inn 
and now it's a restaurant. And I, I'd, I'm only 5'11", and I had to put my head down to get into the room to go eat because people were just shorter back then. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, these guys are bullying a five foot two guy who left Spain to bring the gospel message to, to total strangers. <laughs> you know? Secondly, he loves snuff and chocolate. So snuff, of course, is really not uh, popular anymore. It's not like chewing tobacco or anything. But uh, it was for the nasal, mm-hmm. is the nasal thing, and um, it kind of clear it up real quick. And I think it is tobacco based. And he and he really loved chocolate, and we know that because he wrote it in a letter uh, when he was in Puerto Rico. So when he came to uh, the New World or New um, New Spain, he came via Puerto Rico. That he was there for a few weeks uh, doing, um, uh, you know, get, get, say what would you say uh having like uh tent revivals i guess i forget the name that we catholics use but like a tent revival uh-huh. you know for the catholics that live there so those are a few things i i think that people be kind of he was a man he, he was a man of his time in in many ways however he also went above and beyond i think his what he was what was called of him and there's a line from a, uh, a scholarly article, an academic article, by uh, a guy by the name of James Sandoz, who's not the biggest fan, uh, I think. I can read between the lines of the Catholic Church and so on, but he's a, very, he's a pretty honest scholar. And in, in this article he wrote, quote, Junipero Serra loved the Indians, end quote. That's good enough right there. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it, people that devote their lives to, to studying and writing about this, I don't hear too many negative things about Junipero Serra from them, from them. So why is it in our popular culture that this is fermenting and it's out there on the web and it's really making uh, some people angry? Mm-hmm. You know? When did he die? How old was he? And when's his feast day? He uh, died in 1784, and uh, he was in his, he was 70 years old, mm-hmm. and his feast day is July 1st, and he's the patron saint of vocations. So I don't know if uh, any of your viewers are um, maybe Knights of Columbus mm-hmm. members. They're really great about vocations uh, to the priesthood and religious life. But also the Sarah Club. Hopefully, uh, some of your viewers can look into the Sarah Club, named after him in the 1930s, our own uh, Saint Junipero Serra, and their whole mission is about vocations to the priesthood and religious life. So maybe uh, your viewers can do some uh, research and investigation and see if maybe they're called to uh, become members of the Sarah Club or the Knights of Columbus. Very good. Well- that's Christian Clifford, uh, the book, who, who was St. Hunter Sarah for our English-speaking people. <laughs> it's the website mission1769.com. i got it right this time. Uh, everything will be underneath in the show notes. Get the book. Uh, I'm sure there's some prayer cards somewhere. Do we know of any? There's prayer cards out there through the Knights of Columbus and uh, Sarah International. They have prayer cards available Yep, online. Very good. Well, I appreciate your time and scholarship on this. And uh, hopefully everyone will buy the book and learn more about him. And 
maybe pass it on to somebody who's wanting to tear down a statue. Yay. Thanks, Steve. God Thanks, bless. Everybody. Thanks.